Hello, everyone. Welcome into Locked On Suns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, as always, I'm joined by co-host Brendan Kalimi, both right for Bright Side of the Sun. You can follow me on Twitter at Eastsideria, and you can follow Brendan on Twitter at BrendanClean14. We're here to recap these last two games for you. We saw the, the Timberwolves and the Suns face off without Devin Booker the first time around. And the same was, again, this time in Minnesota, and they lost. But Devin Booker did return last night, had a usual 30-point outing, and the Suns got a win. So we're back with you guys after the holiday. Brent, how was your holiday, and how was the last couple games for you? Holiday was good. I watched uh, a lot of basketball on Christmas, as I'm sure a lot of people did. A lot of really fun games that day, and then cool to come back to another Suns win. Really random, though, that... Memphis of all teams would give like the two most exciting Suns victories of the year, arguably, just as far as being really close and kind of unexpected. Oh, for sure. I mean, with the injuries to Mike Conley and really the overall depleted roster Memphis has right now, outside the grit and grind era that used to be, really it was very interesting to see that game last night for sure, because if you didn't see it last night, the Suns won on a buzzer-beating baseline pass really a lob that I didn't even know was possible with Dragon Bender from about 30 feet out. Hits Tyson Chen around the money for a lob with 0.6 seconds left. Only took 0.2 seconds off the clock, and the Suns got a 99-97 win. So let's jump real quick into the Memphis game because I know you guys are looking forward to talking about Devin Booker. So real quickly, 99-97 was the final score. And really, we, as we said, Booker had 32 points, five assists, or six assists and five rebounds on 9 of 21 shooting. And Dragon Bender himself, even though he didn't have a good game, he had that game-winning pass at the end. So what was your takeaways from last night's game? Yeah, I, I wanted to. I was actually just reading in the uh, Good Morning Let's Basketball uh, newsletter, which everyone should subscribe to. Tom Ziller does it for SB Nation. And he took the top to explain um, what exactly happened with that Chandler alley-oop. So as you can see, as anybody who sees the replay, Bender's on the left baseline and throws it to Chandler right over the hoop. He basically shoots, and, and Chandler reaches over on top of the cylinder and throws it down. And uh, I guess it was a, a rule that Triano knew after with you know all this time in the NBA. He said he learned it 15 years ago, I guess. And uh, it's the fact that it was from an out-of-bounds pass meaning there was no ability for that shot to count. It, you know, it, If it had gone into the hoop, it wouldn't have counted as three points or anything considering Bender threw it from out of bounds. So you're allowed to, you know, quote-unquote, goaltend a shot like that. So the reason that Chandler was able to, to score on that play rather than it being called a goaltend was because of that. And so um, you can assume Memphis probably wasn't expecting it. It's not really something you ever see happen, but it... Uh, made it so that the Suns came out with this very out-of-nowhere win after kind of blowing the lead. So, I mean, that was the, the biggest play of the game. And Booker had a nice night, but nothing um, necessarily up to his highest standards that we were seeing kind of before the injury. But overall, I would I would assume you would agree that it was kind of crazy to see him come back and just go right back to it. Yeah, that that's what really took me off guard because I thought there'd be maybe like a first quarter adjustment period. I mean, maybe like a five minute adjustment period. But right away, Booker comes out super hot. He misses, I believe, his first shot, or maybe makes his first shot, and he makes his next three, and then he goes on a little cold spell and he hit gets it back up again. But in the second half, he I think he only made three field goals, but he had twenty four and four at halftime. So he's already almost at his season average at halftime. So it's definitely. To be expected with Booker at this point, right? I mean, he's averaging almost 30 points a game over his last 10 games, and 
he's really putting up all-star numbers at this point. And if he continues this, I mean, you have to be have to start banging that all-star drum for him because at this point, it's really hard to n- deny him, right? Yeah, he was been. I mean, I think they showed a a stat before or during the broadcast last night that Booker was at I think almost thirty two points per game over the five games preceding his injury. So, you know, and then he comes back with exactly thirty two again last night. Uh, he's it's that consistency that we've been talking about all year that that's really taking things to another level. And for me, last night what was uh, even more impressive than just the ability to come right back from injury and, and kind of pick up where he left off, despite, you know, as I'm sure we'll get into, a little bit of a different situation uh, rotation-wise than he left. But that he's been able to – I think one thing that goes underappreciated about him, it was talked about a lot as a negative thing when he came out of the draft and, um, you know, it, all through the beginning of his rookie season before he kind of took off in that second half was – his lack of, you know, I guess maybe traditional athleticism, just the, he's not the absolute fastest player. He's not, you know, doesn't have a, a first step that, you know, some of these terrifying scorers like a James Harden or a Russell Westbrook have where, you know, they take a step and they're already past you on their way to the rim. He's not really that kind of player. It's about the craft and the, he really has just an intelligent feel for the game that take allows him to, to get angles and shots off that, really are uh, unexpected for a lot of defenders, I think, and um, kind of difficult to guard. And that, that really is the thing that, that sticks out. And then he uses that to be able to set up his teammates. So last night in the first quarter, he really did a good job setting the tone offensively with his assists. I think he had three in the first quarter after he's, before he even sat down. Um, so it's just kind of wild to see somebody so young in their third year be able to have that because if he was just you know exploding around the the court every night and kind of you know juggling the ball on his way to 30 30 points then it wouldn't be so impressive but the nuance that he plays with is kind of crazy and and really fun to watch yeah i pulled up two stats after watching last night's game i was kind of caught off guard by these stats to be honest because i looked up guys i've averaged 24 4 4 21 and under and that made the all-star game and the only three other guys I've done at Booker's age or below are LeBron twice, Michael Jordan, Trace McGrady. And every single time those guys had their first season at those numbers, they made the All-Star game. And another stat I pulled up right before he came on was really his overall improvement on all three zones of the core. I mean, as someone as someone pointed out to me, I mean, I didn't expect this overall, like him doing so well in the restricted area, mid-range and beyond the arc, all so fast. I mean, it's only his third year, he's only 21. He's shooting 63% from the restricted area. 48% from mid-range, 38% from beyond the arc. And the only other two guards that are doing that right now are Steph and Clay Thompson. So just what's your thoughts on those numbers? And is it, did you expect this at all from Booker? I don't think it's possible to really expect it. I think uh, he's just done so much to get better every season that I think we were all kind of thinking, you know, as ridiculous of a you know term is as the the leap like it, it doesn't really describe exactly what's happening for a player but um i think we were expecting him to definitely build on last year but just the like i'm saying the just the balance and craftiness that he has as somebody so young was really not something i was expecting and it's I, the thing that i think back on quite a bit too uh, just you know kind of thinking about how we really analyzed him coming into the draft and as he was drafted was, you know, he's supposed to be this sharpshooter bench guy um, who, who would develop later in his career 
as we see with a lot of shooters, to maybe add some more balance to their offensive game. And no one really was sure that he'd be able to make an impact defensively. And that's still a work in progress. But offensively, it it's almost silly to think about some of the uh, interpretations we had of how his game would translate now. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to know anyone who says that they expect it. It's probably just is lying. I mean, he's just wasn't expected to be this type of player, have a role, be able to handle a role like this. So, uh, and then, you know, that consistency again is the, the really big thing for me this year that he was able to come right back into this game against, uh, I mean, it's a talented team, Memphis. They're not in the best situation right now, but especially on the wing, they have some talent, especially on defense, and he made it look easy. Uh, so, yeah, no, I, I don't think anybody really could have seen it this quick ascent coming at all for sure i agree with you there because i i saw him maybe being a 25 point per game scorer this is but i obviously didn't see the playmaking coming around the defense at least showing marginal improvements this early so it's a very good sign to see and real quick i wanted to ask you this because i got in a conversation with chris hansen and brian garman about on twitter as far as booker and maybe like because brian pointed out on twitter that maybe they should sit booker out just to help the tank a little bit but if booker is that that star guy already would you rather just have him play the rest of the games and if they win 30 plus games that's that's fine with them right i think so i mean i saw that argument and i i definitely see where he's coming from and i think he was being you know he was being positive about it i think his reasoning was along the lines of like you know they really have a chance now knowing how good he is that if they can add that one um last elite talent piece high up in this draft that you know they really have momentum toward a you know, what, what's starting to look like a playoff contending team. And so I think he's right in that regard, but I think I lean more kind of where you fell from what I could tell, which is with the assets that the Suns have, I think the, their best angle now is to see what exactly how good Booker can be this year, see what he can do with this team, and then worry about trading up into the draft if they need to when that time comes. And I think that's where I've fallen all season. Yeah, for sure. I mean, another guy, real quick, bouncing off of Booker for a second is we talked about him a little bit at the beginning. Was Dragon Bender, and you wrote a really good piece this this morning on his improvements and his confidence. Really, <laughs> since Isaiah Cannon took over, we'll talk about that as well. Mike James was released, and Isaiah Cannon had a one year contract after he had a really impressed performance with the Suns. But Dragon Bender, over his last five games or so, has shown a lot more confidence. He's taken a lot off the dribble. Just what have you seen out of Dragon, and really? Last night, we had a cool moment with him and Tyson at the end of that game, but it seems like he's definitely finding his groove. Yeah, he is. I mean, the one thing I pointed to with him um, in the piece was the piece was just really like a, you know the positives we can take away, three positives we can take away from the stretch without Booker, um, those nine games. And the, the number that jumps out with Bender is a, a plus uh, 5.5 net rating over those nine Bookerless um, games, which is really, really impressive for him, considering it was almost the the joke of Suns fans and NBA fans to talk about how um, low Bender, Bender and Chris's plus minus had been. So he's really taken a step forward as far as just positively impacting the team, and it's showing because he's feeling more comfortable taking risks, um, driving to the rim is something we really didn't see last year, and even early in this season at all and he's been doing it multiple times every game kind of trying to see what he can do with uh, handling the ball more and and making plays 
And so, yeah, I think that's a, a really big step for this team going forward to have him kind of fill out his game offensively because I think we're already seeing what his impact can be defensively. For sure. I mean, we saw it at points last night. He kept Tyreek in front of him a couple times. He had a couple guys down low. I mean, he obviously struggles a little bit against quicker guards, but he's obviously shown throughout the season that he has the, the length and versatility to stay in front of quicker guards most of the time. But real quick. Well, he can, he can defend. The, the big thing for him, too, that's been nice is, you know, like we're seeing with a, a lot of players that the, the stretchy defense, like the ability to defend smaller players as a defensive big, is obviously a, a really important tool when the league's getting smaller the way that it is, but those guys still need to be able to defend big players, otherwise they're not going to be able to stay on the court. Like uh, Tristan Thompson, I think, in Cleveland is a good example where he can switch on to guys like Steph Curry and make them work a little harder than most bigs can, but he can't protect the rim mm-hmm. uh, very well. And he's small and, and doesn't really do much in the paint as far as defense goes. And so Bender's ability, I think, in transition several times yesterday he was impressive coming out of nowhere to just kind of swallow up players as they ran to the rim so his ability to do both of those things has been uh, a really big positive for me I think real quick I'm going to pull up this quote from Kellen Olis from Arizona Sports he had a really nice quote from Jared Dudley at practice yesterday about Dragon Bender himself here it is it's I, I think no one has really talked about his growth and development Dudley says and now a real formidable stretch for he shoots the ball at the three he even shoots when you're in his face he doesn't need it. Now he's putting the ball down. Took Taj, Taj Gibson off the dribble, and I think that's just confidence. The ball is moving, popping, and knows that if it doesn't do it, it'll come back to him. And that's where sometimes before you didn't know if that get the ball back. So is that kind of a little subtle thing about Mike James there? Because I know we've seen Bender and James had their problems. James threw the ball at Bender, wait, I think, last month after he didn't want to shoot the ball down 15 with a couple seconds left. So just having a guy like Isaiah Cannon out there, we can just segue into this as well with Isaiah Cannon and Mike James. Just what's the overall difference that we've seen as far as Isaiah Cannon and unlocking the potential with Bender and Blank compared to Mike James? Yeah, Cannon's been, um, I think he just looks, he, he's just a more well-rounded offensive player. I think he looks to create um, offensive efficiency a little bit more than just points, if that makes sense. So I think you see him have a little bit of that traditional point guard instinct that I'm sure Suns fans kind of cherish after you know seeing what Steve Nash was able to do with that mentality and so I, I'm sure it's part of the reason that Tyler Ulis is so popular and um, why we tend to fall in love with those kinds of guys here in Phoenix and it's definitely kind of hard to argue with um, when you see the effect it can have on, on different players and you and I both have dived quite a bit into you know the statistical impact that Cannon has had since joining the team with that second unit especially, but uh, he's really just brought the team to a new level. And I I actually wanted to point out, kind of with that Grizzlies game last night too, there was a stretch in the fourth quarter, and I'm really interested to see if Triano goes back to it, where he put um, Cannon, uh, Bender, and Len, who have been kind of the focal three players of that improved bench unit, but they were on the court with Booker and Warren for about two minutes and then he went away from it and they didn't really do it. I think it was maybe like four to two or five to two by my count points wise uh, during that stretch. But that would be, you know, potentially their strongest lineup if you're just considering, you know, five most, you know, best overall players at this point. So I was really intrigued by that and uh, happy that Cannon's already improved enough that he's getting that time with the starters. Well, with Booker already back, that brings up a good point as well. I mean, does this give Triano the opportunity to maybe spice things up with his lineups? I mean, 
we've seen Booker is obviously going to stay consistent. We've seen over the past five or so games, Isaiah Can has been the more improved point guard prospect over Tyler Ulis. I mean, he had a good game last night, but that was probably his first good game the past few games as far as Ulis goes. And Len and Bender have stayed consistent. Marquise Chris had a very good game last night. We'll touch on him in a little bit. But would that be your preferred starting lineup? I mean, maybe not right now, but down the line? I think it uh, it's balanced enough where I think it, it could really be effective. I don't think, you know, sometimes I think there's teams where you're like, five best players and I think this has been true for the Suns in the past too where maybe your five best players aren't actually the ones who should be playing the majority of the game together but that lineup I mean it's sort of uh, I mean it fits pretty pretty well together just considering the playmaking that you have with Cannon and Booker and then the, it adds a little bit more shooting than the usual starting lineup with Chris and Chandler in there so I wouldn't be opposed to it at all I think it really could could unlock things. I think definitely, though, to kind of answer your question, with Booker back, I would not be surprised if we considered if we continue to see um, lineups like that that are just kind of out of the ordinary and, and just tinkering a little bit more. Yeah, uh, another real quick note on lineups. I, uh, one I really liked last night was seeing Point Booker back, and that was like a good sign to see. He got the ball move, moving a lot, but putting him alongside Troy Daniels for about, I believe it was like a five, ten minute period, he did a lot in the fourth quarter as well. I feel like that's a really good lineup as far as spacing goes. And if Booker can really be a true playmaker, I mean, why not have the best shooter on the on the floor at all times with him, right? I mean, that's two, two top-notch shooters and that perfectly spaced the floor for the bigs. Yeah, one thing with Cannon that I was noticing, especially I, I think I really keyed in on it in that fourth quarter, was um, the way that I, I just think he doesn't necessarily have the chemistry with Alex Len yet, even though, which is kind of surprising to say because of how much success they've had together, obviously, and they, they're doing fine. <laughs> I'm not going to nitpick here, but, like, the the pick and roll especially, he's throwing it, Cannon is throwing it to Len much earlier on his roll to the rim than I think he's used to, than maybe Ulysses and Booker do to him. And he, a, a few times, actually, in the fourth quarter when Memphis kind of started their run to get back into the game, uh, he was bobbling the pass kind of he's too far away to finish but not comfortable enough as a playmaker yet on the roll like um Draymond Green players like that that really excel catching and making that quick decision to pass over to the corner or to a a cutter and so he didn't have that going yet and Mark Gasol was kind of playing with him a little bit when he got into that and then they 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 calmed it back down Booker took over some playmaking duties I think Cannon left the game and they got it back under control with the turnovers but that is one thing to kind of watch going forward uh, is to see how they kind of develop develop chemistry a little bit better and and start to make even more uh, pick and roll magic on offense now I tweeted this last on the bright side of the sun account as far as Len goes but I'm really starting to think that he should be the star moving forward but I did say 30 minutes. He did get 30 minutes total last night. So are you fine with Len just staying in the second unit and Tyson Chandler just finishing off games? He only played 18 minutes last night. But I feel like another thing we should point out real quick on Len is he had four assists last night, and one of those assists was beautiful. I mean, he had a – Booker was off a pick and roll. He hit Len, and Len threw a bullet right to Bender in the corner for a three. I mean, is Greg Monroe starting to rub off on Alex Len a little bit as far as passing goes? Because I've never seen this out of him. Yeah, I've never – I mean, it's not Chandler. Chandler's assists all come on, you know, dribble handoff stuff most of the time, or, you know, very rarely some sort of cutter from the elbow, but I don't know where he's getting it. I mean, it really, I think, to me, the 
the ball just moves so much more and so much better on that second unit. At least it looks like that. Cause I, I don't know. I actually did try to look, um, on the NBA.com tracking data. I looked the last nine games without Booker, um, the team, you know, they have the pass passing dashboard as far as the tracking stuff goes. And the team passes the ball pretty much the same amount of times per game without Booker as they did with Booker. So it might just be like more cohesion and more uh, knowing where guys are going to be and just the chemistry aspect that makes it look so much better, but they aren't actually like passing the ball more total times, but something about that second unit especially just looks a lot better. And and maybe it is just the way that things kind of change and have to change when TJ Warren isn't in the game. That might be one angle to look at it from is that Warren is an effective scorer this year, but clearly stops the ball more than a lot of these players do. So it could just be that his impact on being on on or off the court changes things. I mean, that might be something to look at uh, statistically too. Yeah, definitely. Because I mean, with Alex Len, I mean, it was pretty surprising to me to see how he's been doing it so far. And it brings up a good point. I mean, with that stalemate that McDonough and Alex Len had this offseason, he signed a tender, I believe, a day before training camp began. Do you feel like Len's proven over the first almost half the season that he deserves like a not exactly a big contract, but I mean. He'd be the perfect second unit big man moving forward for this roster. Yeah, I think he can. I mean, he played 30 minutes last night, which is on the high end of what he typically plays, and he handled it really well. So, I mean, he, he has, you know, the the real thing for a lot of other teams, unfortunately, they, I mean, they don't have the resources to be scouting every game that Alex Lynn plays. So other teams that go after him in free agency that the Suns are going to have to compete with are really going to be looking at the fact that he handled this uptick in minutes and posted, I mean, I tweeted yesterday that he averaged basically a double-double without Booker in, and he's on his way to kind of getting there for the season if he keeps rebounding and scoring so well. So they're going to see that and, and the fact that he was a number five overall pick and that he's improved so much and, that's the kind of player with all those things, all those boxes ticked, all that improvement he's he's seen over, over his five years. That's the kind of guy that gets a pretty big contract. So uh, maybe some team convinces that there's themselves that he can start, and, and that kind of is going to force the Suns' hands in, in one direction or another. But um, he's another guy, just like I said with Booker, where the consistency has really been the big thing for him, and it's been a big part of why the Suns have been able to be so competitive recently, for sure. I mean, this is probably a fair question to ask. I mean, outside of Booker and TJ Warren, is Alex Limba the third best son this year? Because I feel like he has. I was going to ask you, actually. I was thinking the same thing. I was going to say, has he been the second most important son? Uh, I don't necess- I was thinking about it a little bit myself. I don't think so, just because I think, um, I think Warren is an underrated defender overall. I still think that, and I do think it's hard to underestimate um, – the uh, impact that he has just night to night on offense, the fact that he really is, you can count on him for 15 to 25 points every day. That's probably at the end of the day, more valuable than what Len has done, especially considering the two other centers on the roster. The team doesn't really sway that much when, when those guys uh, start compared to Len. So I don't know, but he's def- I think third, like you said, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe the per 36 numbers are insane with Len. I think it's like, 14 points, 16 rebounds, and two blocks, and two two assists per game. So at this point, I want to see Lance starting at some point, maybe post-All-Star break, but I'm kind of getting worried as, as far as the Suns go because maybe he, he could be in line for a pretty big contract from some some team this offseason. Don't you agree? 
I think so. Yeah, I think uh, somewhere double digit, you know, ten, fifteen million dollars a year long term since he's still young. Um, you know, that's what that's what big guys that show this much improvement get. Even you know, last year we saw it kind of depress a little bit with guys like Nerlens Noel and um, others getting screwed a little bit. Um, but you know, overall, even Len himself last summer, he didn't he didn't go out and get the contract he probably was hoping for. But this year, yeah, he, he will for sure. That's he's a really good player now. I think. Yeah, I think he's taken that step forward. And honestly, it took five years, but. At this point, he's starting to show from his days in Maryland that he can be that guy that can be a rim protector and also be a guy that can finish down low. But it took it took a while for him. But real quickly, let's jump to two guys before we jump into some tank talk and some also. So we'll we'll a little quick preview for you guys for the next game. But Marquise Chris had six points in that career hard thirteen rebounds last night, twenty nine minutes. He had five turnovers, but he also had two steals and a block. So we should touch on Keith real quick. How is how nice would to see a good performance out of him after? pretty a uh, slump after a while right yeah it's it's i don't know it's weird that he i i thought it was a really quiet 13 rebounds to be honest with you i was not uh noticing it in the minute i thought uh the broadcaster did a good job drawing attention to it by the end of the game i, I was aware but in that first half i wasn't even really noticing him in that way but 13 is and that's like legitimately a lot of impact on the glass not just you know a career high for a second year player doesn't always mean anything but uh he was kind of igniting the transition when he was in the game and creating offense that way out of the defensive rebounding and uh, i think they've adjusted him a little bit being closer to the rim a lot of the time throughout this year where he's coming in for weak side uh, rim protection help and they don't switch pick and rolls with him as quite as much as they do with Bender. So I think those adjustments have helped him and given him something to work on with the rebounding. And yeah, I think there's been an uptick kind of throughout the season with him. And it's just a bigger part of, or a smaller part of the bigger kind of physicality jump that we've seen from him that I think is probably the most optimistic sign from Chris this year, just playing more aggressively and physically every night without losing control. Now, another guy real quick to touch on was Josh Jacks. He only played 13 minutes. He once again got in the quick foul trouble. I believe he had two fouls in his first two or three minutes on the court. He was at minus eight, only four points, three rebounds in 13 minutes, two turnovers as well. So with Josh Jackson, I mean, at this point, do you feel like they should limit his minutes? I know he needs, I mean, for me, I believe he should get around 30 minutes a game. But it's getting to that point now where it seems like he's getting a little too out of control. And guys like Troy Daniels and... TJ Warren really deserve honestly more minutes and Davon Reed's projected the return next week. So how do you see that shaking out for Jackson? Because I know he needs the minutes, but he really has been one of the worst plus minus guys in the entire league. Yeah. There were a lot of fans on uh, right side of the sun with that article I posted this morning on the Booker list takeaways um, that were making the case against him playing consistently and, a lot of, you know, the way that Triano kind of treats the Bender-Chris juggling act, they want him to kind of do the same thing with Jackson, where uh, if he's not earning the minutes, that he's not going to get them. But the thing with that is that Triano always talks about, especially with Chris, that it's an energy factor. So if he doesn't see Chris coming out and playing with the requisite energy to compete, then he puts him on the bench. But that's never the problem for Jackson. I think it's just uh, kind of boneheaded stuff more than you know not caring or not playing with 
energy. So I think it's just he's going to have to learn that a lot of the plays he tries to make, he can't make them right now. And a lot of the time they're not even the right play in the moment. Um, he fall, He's fallen in love uh, with a pull-up jump shot, and I, I'm not going to pretend like I really, really watched enough to know where his jumpers were coming in college. I paid attention to the three-point shot and all that. I don't remember him doing that so much in college. Maybe it's just the fact that he is struggling so much from deep that he uh, is scared to take those, so he's taking more of off-the-bounce mid-range, but that's a really bad shot for really anybody, and especially for somebody uh, like him that doesn't have that jumper efficiency anywhere near yeah, where it should be yet. Yeah, I read an article actually yesterday on Sports Illustrated. Jeremy Wu, who we had on a podcast a couple weeks ago, you should check that out if you haven't, about all the draft prospects we talked about. But Josh Jackson and his redraft, they had Markel Fultz going number four to the Suns, but they had Jackson as the worst guy falling off. He dropped seven spots all the way down to number 11 to Charlotte. So and he also brought up a good point with that as well. He he believes that maybe Jackson was kind of mislabeled in the draft process. He wasn't, quote-unquote, a ready prospect. But maybe he's more of a project than we all expected, right? Because, I mean, Jason Tam, I was texting you about it. But he seems like the prototypical guy, the frame. I kind of missed on him, obviously. But Jackson and his overall slight frame and his, like you said, his boneheaded mistakes, is he more of a project than you, you thought originally? Yeah, there was one thing. I don't remember who. I think it was probably in the Jonathan Jarks, Charks piece um, last week about Jackson, kind of like a progress report on Jackson where he really drew attention to the lack of length, uh, wingspan length that Jackson has and how it disadvantages him in a lot of different situations. And I think that's something that kind of goes underestimated. I uh, wrote a piece for Fansided a while ago, a couple weeks ago now, about like the prototypical Kevin Durant defenders like the guy who you most want going up against Durant to kind of represent like where the league's going defensively and the thing I noticed with all those guys that I kind of keyed in on were uh, like Robert Covington, Brandon Ingram, that new generation of really versatile wing defenders is they all have absurd wingspans and and Jackson's is I think under seven feet. uh, Yeah I believe think it's 6'10". Yeah for guys his height it's usually like 7'2", 7'3", if they're really like that incredible like athletic specimen type of player like Ingram is and and Covington is so that's something I definitely didn't really think about too much before seeing it in that piece but I kind of think about it more and more last night especially uh he struggled against Tyreek Evans again who's been really the only effective Memphis player in these two Suns Grizzlies games kind of went off again last night really gets their offense going in a big way and Jackson uh really, really can't go over screens effectively right now when he's defending the pick and roll. He doesn't bend his knees and kind of slide above the, the screener like you see the most elite kind of guys do. And then so he's really constantly at a disadvantage trying to defend from behind, chasing after Evans. And Evans isn't even really that you know speedy a player. He's a really strong guy who can muscle his way into rim attempts, but he's not like sprinting past anybody and Jackson could not stay in front of him at all and then you know without that wingspan he he doesn't really have much of a hope of defending from behind because he's not going to surprise anybody with you know a contest like that or or smacking the ball or blocking the shot from behind at all so you know you see that stuff kind of come out in in surprising ways with that lack of like the physical gifts that so many others have yeah we're going to touch on it probably in the next week or so it's 
coming pretty fast, honestly. We had our quarterly stock reports about a month ago, and it's, we're already at the halfway point almost. I think January 5th is the game at San Antonio. It'll be game 41. So it's the season's flown by pretty fast so far. But real quickly, I wanted to touch on another note from last night's game, and that was, let me see here, it was, it was Tyson Chandler. Yeah, six rebounds, and we also talked about that, that lob. But I know a lot of Suns fans have talked about Chandler being on the move and Chandler being a DMP CD most of the time. But how valuable is he to this roster? Because I feel like, we overlook that a lot of times here. Yeah, I think especially you think about Jackson and uh, Chandler's been, honestly, just, you know, from what I see, pretty uh, important for Jackson on the court, especially uh, probably just as much off the court, knowing what we hear about Chandler in, the, in that locker room. But uh, Jackson, he'll frequently direct Josh Jackson uh, on defense telling him, you know, switches and, and rotations and, and pick and roll coverages kind of in the moment. He'll be pointing and yelling like we, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of hard to really quantify it or know, but if, the, if I'm noticing, that's my, always my like go to is if I can tell that that guy's helping Jackson on a nightly basis, then there must be so much more to it, you know? So I think we definitely don't always appreciate that enough. And, you know, Triano really, really respects his opinion. I, you, I'm sure you see the same thing. Those two guys are constantly talking uh, around practice and game time. So he's a big part of the Suns, and I think you know whether we want to admit it or not, he he doesn't really have a movable contract at this point anyway. So we might as well just kind of learn to appreciate him. Oh, for sure. I mean, at this point, he has only two years left on his contract, really a year and a half now. So. Unless they do move the trade, then I really just see at this point, like Jared Dudley, he should just stay around, help these young guys develop, and see where it goes from there. But real quickly, we touched on it a little bit ago in this podcast, but circling back toward it with the tank standings, the Suns, I believe, are 7th or 8th right now. They're 13-23. I think they have the 7th or 8th spot in the draft. They're starting to really push themselves down more and more as Booker comes back and really shows that he could be that star moving forward. So we touched on it again, but I'll circle back to it. Does it really matter to you where the Suns finish in this in this overall draft class and like we talked about earlier what would you do with that position because I feel like if the Suns do win 30 games it really shouldn't matter but this draft class is also looking to be one of the top five like probably one of the best top five classes in a while yeah that that's the thing about the class that does make it a little bit more urgent is that there is a lot of elite talent at the top but I don't love the 10 to 20 range not that they're going to fall that far I don't think but you get down to that that second tier, third tier prospects, especially you know outside the lottery. I don't love those players too much. So, you know, you really would hope to be in that top five and really, really toward the top this year. But like I said before, they do have that Miami pick, and you know, who knows? It doesn't look likely that they'll have the Bucks pick, but um, I just think that they have the assets, including players. You know, last year or two years ago, sorry, all it took for them to get into position to draft Marquise Chris was uh, another first rounder and the rights to Bogdanovich. So, you know, I I tend to think that that stuff can figure itself out, and that if you are in position to win games with the current young roster you already have, then that's sort of what you've been building for this whole time. You know what I mean? There's no need to. Now you have all these players. You're, you know, the timeline is in, in full, full speed and whatever. And to go ahead and then try to, you know, kind of revert back to 
losing games again and, and taking away what those guys have worked for doesn't make much sense to me. For sure, yeah. I mean, at this point, like we talked about earlier, I believe if they do go win 30 games, it really shouldn't matter to the front office. They shouldn't be strategically resting guys past the All-Star break. They, this season should be all about developing the guys and seeing where they can take them. But real quickly as well, I've seen a lot of bright side readers comment on this as well, but should if the Suns continue to show they're a, a capable, proven team night in, night out to stay competitive, do you want this team to make a move for a veteran point guard at the deadline? Because I've seen people on the website talk a lot about Dennis Schroeder, talk a lot about Kemba Walker, but what's your opinion on possibly getting that veteran point guard, making a push, honestly, in the next few months? Yeah, you have a piece on this, I think, coming out soon. I would love to talk about it more with all the possibilities that you bring up in that, but I think Schroeder's maybe along the lines of a, the type of player you would want more so than Walker, just because I think what we talked about it in a pod, a few weeks ago, and Walker is maybe I think twenty seven, and Schroeder I think is closer to twenty four, twenty five. But I don't really think either one of those guys is who I necessarily want going forward. I would be more focused on. I I, I continue to be convinced that the best type of player next to Booker is going to be more of a combo card anyway. So Schroeder is a really high usage player and he pounds the ball and likes to run pick and roll and, and do the John Wall kind of thing but he's not as elite as John Wall as a playmaker or a scorer so that's not really the type of player that really would make sense next to Booker for me I think a player like obviously Patrick Beverly is like the, the biggest kind of archetype for this type of guy but that you know he can play defense and he can pass and he can shoot those kinds of players like a Marcus Smart maybe he can't really shoot but <laughs> somebody like that makes a whole ton more sense to me than than Beverly or, or I'm sorry than uh, than Schroeder or Walker. Now, this is a little off topic here, but real quick before we dive into our preview with this this the Kings game coming up on the 29th, but this team I think only has really two big holes left. That's a point guard and center. However, they fill those positions out, whether it's Chris or Bender at the center or they draft one or trade for one, et cetera, et cetera. But what do you believe is the most important position that they have to go for this summer? Because I feel like this summer in 2018 with the assets, how they're lining up with how the urgency is with McDonough in the front office, this is going to be probably one of the most important summers the Suns have had. And I mean, one of the longest times probably since the seven seconds or less era. So how would you go about trying to improve that roster and really what position would you lock in on? I think playmaking talent, a replacement for a lot of the minutes that players like Tyler Ulis and um, Isaiah Cannon and Troy Daniels are using right now. I think those guys are good, but I think on a really good team, they're not playing anywhere near the minutes that they're playing now. Uh, Daniels was at 20 last night. Cannon was at 21. I don't think that in the long term that's really their role unless, you know, the two of them obviously have room to continue to improve, but... Overall, those aren't the kind of guys that are going to be your sixth and seventh men on an elite type of team that this one hopes to eventually be. So I think, you know, and that's lucky because the Suns or this draft and the Suns have the opportunity to pick uh, from a lot of those types of players, uh, point guards and, and otherwise. So I think that playmaking second option to Booker type of player is is most important and I think ideally he would be able to land on that point guard spot. But overall, I think that's just that skill set and talent is the most important thing. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. I would say, I mean, they're at this point, they're probably not going to be in the top three on their own unless they get some lottery luck. But 
guys like Aiden and Bamba would make a big difference, but prospects like Doncic and really Trey Young, who's really skyrocketing on my board as well, those two guys make a lot of sense. You might punt defense a little bit there, but if you build the right interior roster around them as far as front court defense goes, like prospects like Dragon Bender are the prototypical guys you have around those guys. So it makes a lot of sense to go for Trey Young or Luka Doncic later on this summer, but it'll be definitely interesting to see how that falls over the next few months. But Real quickly, let's dive into that Kings preview real quick. I mean, they barely lost the last time they were in Sacramento, but it was without Devin Booker. So the Suns have won four for the last six, and they now have Devin Booker back. So you think it's going to be five out of seven? I think they have a really good shot at it. I think I the thing I keep thinking, I'm like the Kings and the Grizzlies and the Wolves, like I cannot wait for not to jump too much ahead, but the Sunday matchup against the Sixers, like the Wolf finally oh, be know, playing right? a team that's fun to watch. Like, gosh, the Grizzlies and the Wolves and the Kings, that might be the worst stretch of like entertaining NBA teams to play and are all in a row. And it's like the worst Christmas present the NBA could have given us. But uh, I think that kind of the, the Kings just don't have a lot of talent. Like, there's really not a nice way to put that. Zach Randolph's been having a solid year, and the, the Suns don't necessarily have an answer for him. But, yeah, they they should win, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, they have Booker back. He's consistently, I think he's good for 30 points against this team. So, I mean, if they barely lost, I believe it was like two or four last time. I mean, if you add 30 more points to that, it should be a good win for this team. But, obviously, it'll be interesting to watch. But, What's your overall like matchup outside of Booker? What what are you looking forward to? Because I know that the Kings have a lot of young prospects like Scalabissier and De'Aaron Fox, but is there any sort of matchup you're looking forward to outside of Booker? I always like watching Buddy Heald. I mean, that sort of goes along with Booker because I'm a little bit of a Pelicans fan slash follower there. But um, I, yeah, they just they I think they sent down Scal to the G League, if I'm oh, not wow. mistaken. Yeah. Um, he was struggling and kind of lost his rotation spot. I, I think that the, I saw that in the news. Yeah, he didn't uh, play in their last game, and I remember seeing that he was heading down. So I don't know what that means for him long term, but it's not necessarily you know, optimistic after seeing that. Other than that, I don't know. I mean, Frank Mason's been the guy that I've been hearing about most, and he didn't do too much in the game where they were here uh, a few weeks ago now. But I don't know. I mean, I, I think that was just so raw. Nobody's really playing that much 30 40 minutes and they're kind of just seeing what they have i think similar to the suns in a way so um but yeah probably buddy he's fun to watch and i'm interested in his development yeah i mean buddy and booker that could easily be two 30 plus point games between both of those guys but real quick before we end this podcast i wanted to ask you they they obviously have the kings coming up then they have this the sixers and i believe they go somewhere else but i forget where that is for these next three or five games but do you feel like this one final stretch before that mid-January stretch where it's going to be super hard for this team to really win any sort of games, do you feel like this team really needs to capitalize on the next week or so? I think they sure can. I mean, I don't know have to. I think their priority is always, um, like, they're not caring about tanking. Yeah. We can talk about, like, what we think, but they're going to try to win every game. So they definitely have the opportunity with how well they've been playing to kind of inch toward 500 here in the next week or so and then see where they can what they can do when the schedule gets a little rougher like you said mid-January yeah it'll be interesting to watch we'll be back with you guys most likely Friday night following the Kings game because I think it's a late start I think it's a 7 30 Arizona time now I believe New Year's Eve to 6 p.m Arizona start time at home against the Sixers so it'll be definitely interesting to see how the next week goes for the Suns but until then we'll see you guys then